play, play, play. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I think you were live. I don't know. It's not showing it. Sure. I'm showing error. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me check the feeds. Check the Facebook and Twitch feed. I don't know if we're here or not, folks. Hello. Oh, crap. We may not have a show today. Why? I'm not even seeing it in Rumble. What is going on? I have no idea. Let me see if we're streaming to Facebook. Sorry, people, if uh, if uh, you're seeing us right now. Oh my gosh! The video never finished uploading. Uh, well, okay, we, we, we're on we Facebook. have somebody saying that they found us on Facebook. Okay, so we're good there. We may have to try and just do this show without throwing it to rumble. It's just we won't, we'll lose it. Ah! Oh, I see it, I see All it. Right. I see it, I, th I think I see it. We, we, we are live on rumble, we're live on rumble. Okay, all right, and we're live on Twitch. Okay, so, all, all right. right, all right. Oh. All right, Jimmy has us. Folks! I should have known this was coming. I should have known. I should have known. We're going to give it just a few minutes. Um, yeah, let's give folks. Let a me just talk here. to you here for a minute. We're we're up on Facebook. The feed says we're on Rumble. I see it on Rumble. I just don't see that we have an audience up on Rumble yet. Um, yeah, because it took a while for it to actually post to Rumble. That's because we went live without a schedule. Right. Okay, what happened what is just as we were starting the show, we hit the intro. Just as okay. we were... Jason says he's got us on All Rumble. right, just as we Thank were starting you. the show, um, we got a notification that Rumble lost the feed. No idea why. Everything was correct on our end. And then we tried to set the show up again real fast and get you going again real quick. Um, but um, I forgot to put in the destination codes properly and we had to redo it again. It, it, given the subject of today's show, I, I should have known this was coming, Charlie. I, I, I should have known this was coming. Um, we're going to drag our feet for just a minute here because we can't wait oh, too yeah. long. I've got a long show for you today. Oh, oh, yeah. This show. Yes, ooh, Aaron, get behind show, us. Yeah, this this show um, is going to be. Yes, we got people starting to gather up on Rumble. We're, like yep, I said, we, we apologize for this. People, thank you. This sorry. was not on our side, folks. This was not on our side. This something either happened with Rumble or Streamyard. Given the subject of what we're going to do today, <laughs> we should have known this was coming. This is going to be one of those shows that you may need to go back and, and folks are just going to have to catch the replay are on if we don't get you live. I can't wait too, too much longer. We might run out of time today. Um, we're going to be talking about the history of Palestine. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and I do mean the beginning. Yeah, they're starting to find us on Rumble now. Um, we're starting to come up on Rumble. We're yep. going to give this just a little we're bit longer. We're doing pretty good on Facebook, so. Um, but, we, yeah, we've got a we've got a mess this morning. <laughs> we're going to have to start setting up uh, uh, everybody to bet, you know, the night before we got a controversial <laughs> show coming up. What type of trouble What's are we going to have? All right. We got to get going. We, we're just going to have uh, to get going. We should be live on Twitch. Yes. Twitch is showing live <laughs> for me. Um, Sandy, it shows check. live. We've got, we got, yes. if you're just joining us. Yes, it is live on Twitch. We've got a mess here this morning and it was a uh, not of our making this is not charlie's fault somewhere in the in the internet world 
um, StreamYard, Rumble, people just didn't like it. They don't want us to talk about what we're going to talk about today. That's probably all there is to it. Um, so we got to get going here. We, we've we've got to get moving. We're talking about the history of Palestine today. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what, what we're going to do is your show notes. There, there, there's the road to Concord right there. The, that's the blog page, the road to Concord.com. Um, tortoise, we got rumble up. It just might be hard to find it. it it's running. Some people are there. We had a, we had a mess this morning. The, the place just crashed right as we were starting to show rumble crashed. So we had to scramble like a bunch of chickens with our heads cut off. Anyhow, for those of you who just joined in the middle, let your classmates know what's going on. We got to get moving. We've already lost 15 minutes. You go to the road to concord.com, the blog page. These are your show notes today. The history of Palestine back to the beginning. If you do nothing else today, you go watch this YouTube video. It's 11 and a half, 12 minutes long. This is the best thing I have ever found to give you the history of Palestine in a nutshell accurately. This is, this is as close to non-biased as I can find. It, it does have a slightly anti-Palestinian bent. Uh, but you can't do the history here accurately without, if you are a semi-moral person, you're not going to get there. If you got any idea of Western uh, cultural ethics at all, you're not going to be able to do the history of this thing without coming down on a slightly anti-quote-unquote Palestinian bent. But for the most part, this is the best thing I've ever seen, that YouTube video. You need to watch that. It, it, at some point in time, just make a note. Go back and watch it. It's 11 and a half, 12 minutes long. It's very good. Um, it took me two days to find it again because they bury it. That's that's how good it is. That's what you want to see, no matter what. If, if nothing else, this YouTube video right here, you want to watch. Okay, right here. This one where I've got the little cursor going over and over. I can't play it. Um, even if I'd have made my own video of it, um, I, I don't want to steal the work those folks did. You go do that, watch it on YouTube so that they can get compensated for what they did. Um, so we're going to go to the slideshow now. And we're going to start with this. Here's our little slideshow today. Whoever controls the image and information of the past determines what and how future gen generations will think. Whoever controls the information and images of the present determines how those same people will view the past. He who controls the past commands the future. He who commands the future conquers the past. This is George Orwell talking about the power of the media and how things with the media work. A lot of what's going on with the Palestinian debate and the, the whole thing in Palestine and the Middle East, that's because people are lying to the world about what happened there and what, what, what's going on and why. We're going to try and give you the, the most complete history of this region that I can. This is why that Greek philosopher said, if you, if you live a life without knowing, you know, if you live your life without understanding or learning the history of this world, you're condemned to live the life of a child forever. Okay. Cause you're just not going to understand how the past drives the present. So I found this, this is an ABC meme. It's ABC channel 10 from somewhere. It says race and race and culture team. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict explained. Well, their explanation is wrong. I didn't use it, but I did grab their picture because it was really very useful to me. And then I found this picture. 
The areas in green are all those nations that have formally recognized Palestine as a nation. The areas in white have not. That immediately set off fireflies in my brain when I saw that picture. We will come back to the firefly toward the end of the show. But this picture, white has not formally recognized Palestine as a nation. Green has. I like the fact that they chose green, color of Islam. That works very well for me. Okay, it's not related necessarily directly to Islam, but it is tangentially related. You'll see, but that set off fireflies. And I'll explain at the end of the show where we're going to go. The claim that Israel has illegally occupied Palestinian land. If you look, you're going to inevitably, you're going to run into something that looks a little bit like this. Um, I, you can't read all of it. Don't worry about it. You don't need to. Let me walk you through this from left to right. Yellow is the Palestinian areas in 1917. Before the creation of Israel, everybody was owned by Palestine. And then in 1946, we had some Jews move in. They're green. And then the UN petitioned the plan in 1947. That's, that's where we're going to put the Jews, in that green area. In 48 and 49, Israel formed, and they took some of the land that belonged to the Palestinians. More land. 67, they took even more land. And now to present day, the Jews have almost purged the Palestinians out of their land. They're occupiers. This is the, this is the Palestinian view of history. Unfortunately, that's wrong. The problem is that the Palestine has never been an official nation, ever. In the history of humanity, Palestine has never been a nation. There are no historic people known as Palestinians. There is not a people in history that you'll find called Palestinians until modern times when they've tried to create them. It's a political movement. And if there were, the people living, if, if you could go back and find Palestinians, the people living in the region today cannot trace their lineage to those original peoples. This is the truth. So let's start with Palestine. From the Encyclopedia Britannica Online, Palestine, an area of the eastern Mediterranean region comprising parts of modern Israel and the Palestinian territories of Gaza Strip along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and the West Bank, the west of the Jordan River. The term Palestine has been associated variously, and it's sometimes controversially, with the small region, which some have asserted also includes Jordan. Some have asserted? That's because that's history. I'll show you in a little bit. Both the geographic area designated by the name and the political status of it have changed over the course of some three millennia. The region, or at least part of it, is also uh, known as the Holy Land and is held sacred amount among the Jews, Christians, and Muslims. The Muslims call it the Levant. So whenever you hear Obama talking about the Levant, he's using the Muslim name for Palestine. Since the 20th century, it has been the object of conflicting claims of Jewish and Arab national movements, and the conflict has led to prolonged violence and, in several instances, open warfare. The word Palestine derives from Philistia, the name given by Greek writers to the land of the Philistines, who in the 12th century BCE, I like BC, occupied a small pocket of land on the southern coast between modern Tel Aviv, Yafo, and Gaza. The name was revived by the Romans in the 2nd century Common Era AD in the Syria-Palestina 
designating the southern portion of the province of Syria and made its way there thence into the Arabic, where it has been used to describe the region at least since the early Islamic area. After Roman times, the name had no official status until after World War I and the end of the rule by the Ottoman Empire when it was adopted for one of the regions mandated to Great Britain. In addition to an area roughly comprising present-day Israel and the West Bank, the mandate included the territory east of the Jordan River, now constituting the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, which is why some claim that Palestine includes Jordan. Because when it was reconstituted as Palestine, it included Jordan, which Britain placed under an administrative separate from the Palestinian immediately after receiving the mandate from the territory. So what do we got going on here? Basically, very simply put, Palestine has never been a nation, never been recognized by anybody as a nation. That article continues. We've got just a little bit left here. I forgot to read. It says the name Palestine has long been in popular use as a general term to denote a traditional region like the Southeast United States. But this usage does not imply precise boundaries. The perception of what constitutes Palestine's eastern boundary has been especially fluid, although the boundary frequently has been perceived as lying east of the Jordan River, extending at times to the edge of the Arabian Desert. In contemporary understanding, however, Palestine is generally defined as a region bounded on the east by the Jordan River, on the north by the border between modern Israel and Lebanon, on the west by the Mediterranean Sea, including the coast of Gaza, and on the south by the Negeva, which is a big open desert, with its southernmost extension reaching the Gulf of Aqaba. So again, no real nation ever, not in the history of man. It has never been a nation. It's been a region. It's like saying the southeastern United States. What nation is that? It's like saying the Sahara Desert. You do realize the Sahara extends through several different nations. It's a region. It has always been just a region. It, it, and it's a name that goes to the Philistia, right? Philistines. That's so, okay. So that's where the name comes from, okay? That's where we get Palestine. It's derived from that name. So let's start with the original Palestinians who were the philistines well we know for one thing <clears throat> we know they're real people okay and they've got their own type of pottery and their own culture and everything this dark blue area here that's the largest extent of the philistia now the light blue area would have been at this time this picture is drawn up that's canaan or canaan however you want to pronounce it okay that that's the land that would eventually become the holy lands the dark blue area is philistia and that's probably a little larger than what it actually should be in this picture. But anyhow, back to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Stick with me, folks. This is very important. I know you are in, you're in a classroom. You're here because you want to learn. You're in a classroom. This is a subject that gets very confused because people will not do the work. Okay, we're going to do the work today. You're in class. If you want to understand what's going on in the Middle East, you have got to pay attention to me today. I'm going to explain it to you, and I'm going to take you were all the way back to the beginnings right now, man. We're, we're going to be 2000 BC is where this starts. Well, Joe, I don't want to go. That's got nothing to do with modern times. It's got everything to do with modern times, and that's the, that's the point. Everybody wants to stop at 1948. This problem goes back a lot further than that. The past drives the present. So Encyclopedia Britannica. Philistine people, Philistine, one of a people of Aegean origin, 
a GNC, south part of Europe, okay, between Italy and the Baltic states and everything, Greece. It's one of a people of Aegean origin who settled on the southern coast of Palestine in the 12th century BC, about the time of the arrival of the Israelites. According to the biblical tradition, this is Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 23, Jeremiah 47, 4. The Philistines came from Kaftor, possibly Crete, although there is no archaeological evidence of a Philistine occupation of the island. Mm, be careful with that. We're about to see in a little bit. The first records of the Philistines are inscriptions and reliefs in the mortuary temple of Ramesses III and Medina Habu, where they appear under the name PRST, Prist, as one of the sea peoples that invaded Egypt about 1190 BC after ravaging Antolia, Cyprus, and Syria. Okay, Cyprus, if you get to Cyprus, you might as well have gone to Crete. After being repulsed by the Egyptians, they settled, possibly with Egyptian permission, on the coastal plains of Palestine from Joppa, or Yapa, Joppa, modern Tel Aviv, Aviv, you know, Yafo, so what we've already read, southward to Gaza. The area contained the five cities, the Pentopolis, of the Philistine Confederacy, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gath, Ekron, whatever, and was known as Philistia, or the land of the Philistines. It was from this designation that the whole of the country was later called Palestine by the Greeks, just like the Romans are going to call the area Judea because of the area of the Jews. It's just a region. The Philistine people continued. It says the Philistines expanded into neighboring areas and soon came into conflict with the Israelites, a struggle represented by the Samson saga, Judges 13 through 16, in the Hebrew Bible. Possessing superior arms and military organization, the Philistines were able to occupy part of the Judean hill country. The Philistines' local monopoly on smithing iron, which is 1 Samuel 13, 19, a skill they probably acquired in Antolia, was likely a factor in their military dominance during this period. They were uh, finally defeated by the Israelite King David in the 10th century BC, and therefore the history was that of individual cities rather than of people from that point on. After the division of Judah in Israel, 10th century BC, the Philistines regarded their regained their independence and often engaged in border battles with those kingdoms. Lots of warfare going back there. <clears throat> We're not going to read this whole big part of it. I need to make up just a little bit of time here. But what this one's going to tell you is the Philistines, we don't have a known language or a known religion or anything for them. At least we don't think we do. But there's more information here. This is what I want to show you for the moment. Right here is a map of Philistia. This is what historically can definitely, if you look at the map, if you're not, if you can't see the chalkboard today, I can't help you with this too much. This is a visual class today. But Philistia, the land of Philistines, Palestine, is that little itty bitty area down there by Gaza, that little orange color. That's that little area. Then to the right, you have the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. North of that, Samaria. That's the house of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. North of that, there's an orange section. That's Phoenicia. And then you have uh, Aram, Damascus. That's that's a region there. Then you have Ammon, Moab, and Edom. These are all the areas. These are biblical areas. These are biblical peoples. These are not really nations. These are kingdoms. That's a better way to put it. Kingdoms don't always have fixed borders. They have regions of control, kind of like, um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the region of a wolf pack, okay? 
their borders will ebb and flow as neighboring tribes are stronger. You know, neighboring uh, packs of wolves get stronger or weaker than they are. So their borders will will flex here and there. There are no hard known borders in these areas. But that little area, that's Palestine. That's the original Palestine. Today, they want to claim the whole region. That's the if you have an original Palestine. Remember, the word comes from Philistia. It's derived from. So if you have an original place called Palestine, it's that little area right there. That's it. Okay. And the people were Philistines, if you want to go that far back. Okay. From here, we're going to have Bible history daily. It's another website. It's, it's all of these are in your show notes. So it says, who were the Philistines? Where did they come from? Investigating the biblical and archaeological evidence from the Philistines' origins. We need to read this. This is important, especially if you're a Bible believer. In his article, Daniel Masters looks at archaeological and biblical evidence for the Philistines' origins. He considers the accounts of Ramesses' third mortuary temple at Medinu Habu. We've already read about that. In the 12th century BCE, during the reign of Ramesses III, a confederation of tribes from the islands of the northern countries attacked Egypt several times, both on sea and land. The Peleset, whom scholars connect with the Philistines, were named as one of these tribes. That's the PLST that we were talking about. There are no vowels in, in ancient languages. On the way to Egypt, the confederation had traveled through the eastern Mediterranean and destroyed numerous cities, including Ugarit and the Syrian coast. Uh, Amarapi and the last king of Ugarit had written to surrounding kingdoms for help. And when the seven ships of the enemy had arrived to ransack his kingdom, by the time help came, though, it was too late. Ugarat lay in ruins. Seven ships. Okay. Well, these probably big ships. Egypt defeated the confederation, as recorded on one of the temple walls of the men at Habu. A relief from that temple also depicts a sea battle between the island tribes of the Egyptians. It's in the article. You can see the picture. In it, the islanders wear a distinct headdress, which clearly set them apart from the Egyptians. Now, that headdress is very familiar if you know anything about the Roman and Greek headdresses, which would connect the Philistines back to that area of the world. After being defeated, some of these tribes settled on the southern coast of Canaan in what would become the land of the Philistines. Egyptian sources thus seem to record a migration of people from the islands to Philistia. That yellow part, the islands, 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 islands keeps coming up. This is important. Masters, Master also examines the evidence for Philistine origins in the Bible. The biblical authors remember the Philistines as coming from a foreign land from Kaftor. This is Genesis 10.14, Deuteronomy 2.23, 1 Chronicles 1.12, Amos 9.7, and Jeremiah 47.4. Uh, scholars have long drawn a connection between Kaftor and Crete. This is largely based on the Egyptian inscriptions and paintings of Kaftiu from the 15th and 14th century BCE, wherein the Kaftiu are linked to the Minoan civilization which was centered on Crete, Minoan. Hmm. Excavations have shown that the Philistines had a distinct assemblage of artifacts. Master notes parallels between some of the early Philistine objects, especially from the 12th and 11th century BCE, and the Egyptian, uh, Aegean rather, and uh, Cypriotic artifacts, Cyprus. So they're linked to the Aegean Sea, to Cyprus, and to Crete. Elements of the Philistine material culture then also hint at an Aegean or Mediterranean origin for the Philistines. This will be important. Bear with me. Also from Bible History Daily, another article. 
where did the Philistines come from? This one's important. The horned altar from uh, Tel Safi hints at the origins of the Philistines. If you are biblically literate, this is extremely important. Pay attention. The excavations at Tel Safi Goth, the site of Goth of the Philistines mentioned in the Bible, 1 Samuel 6.17, so they're digging in the area mentioned in the Bible, They've produced many fascinating finds, and the summer of 2011 was no exception. While uncovering an impressive destruction level dating to the second half of the 9th century BC, when Gath was the largest of the five cities of the Philistines and perhaps the largest city in the land of Israel during the Iron Age, excavators found an exceptionally well-preserved horned altar reminiscent of the Israelite horned altars described in the Bible, Exodus 27, 1 through 2, 1 Kings 1, 50. The fact that the Tel Es-Hasafi Goth horned altar has only two horns may have to do with the cultural origins of the Philistines. As Louis Hitchcock, senior staff member of the Tel Es-Hasafi Goth excavations, has suggested the very, the very motif of the horned altar in the Levant may have been influenced by earlier Minoan horns of consecration the symbolic representation of the horns of the sacred bull in Minoan culture. In fact, there is an altar from the late Bronze Age site of the Matoris Pigades in Cyprus that has also has only two horns. The unique horned altar from Tele S. Safi Goth, the earliest stone altar ever found from the land of the Philistines, may be another indication of the Aegean influence on early Philistine cultures and quite possibly a hint of their origins. Why is this a GNC so important? Well, this is one of the maps you'll normally find when you're dealing with this. The sea people. This is okay because you see there's overland attacks. And I, I don't mind that map, but I prefer this one. This shows you the Hittite Empire, which didn't exist until they found it. For hundreds of years, everybody told us there was no Hittites. That's just a Bible myth. And then they found it. Uh, why is this important? Because this is going to link the Hittites to the Philistines, to the same people. It's going to come from the area of Greece. Greece, Crete, Malta. I mean, not Malta, but uh, Cyprus. Cyprus is that island over there on the right with one of the blue arrows hitting it. It's, it's just under the Hittite Empire. It's gray in this picture. That's Cyprus. Why is this important? Well, it might not be. It, it just tells you that the Philistines come from area of Greece. But now let me chase a rabbit for you. Charlie, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? If you're going where I think you're going, this is going to be awesome. Uh, I might be. I'm First waiting. of all, the, he, the, the Cashleum, Hitchcock's Bible names, the name means hope of life. So this is part of where we're heading already, if you know where I'm going. Also, Cashleum, I just want to read the right part. His, according to a strange and utterly improbable statement of Herodotus, which is repeated by Diodorus Siculus and Strabo and others, these were Egyptians who had immigrated. These are, The Philistines have Egyptian origin. The Philistines have Egyptian origin, but they came from Greece, right? How the heck does that happen? Well, down here again, the name, this biblical name for the Philistines, an identification of the tribes with the Nasmoreans of Herodotus' story, right? Is that where you thought I was going? Yep, that's where I thought you were going. <laughs> oh, man. All right, folks. Sit back for a minute. Oh, I'm going to tell you man. a tale. Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. Okay. 
First no, things no, no, first. No. This is this is you. You went on a one-hour cruise. Yeah, <laughs> three-hour cruise. Three-hour cruise turns into a three-year. Yeah. All right. So it's an improbable mention by Hereditus, unless, of course, you understand the information that's presented in the video there on the right. Patterns of evidence, Exodus. Because that gentleman makes a very strong argument that Exodus happened 750 years earlier than we think it did. Now, if that's the case, then we've got our timelines messed up. Now, there is another gentleman who has done the work in Egypt and who has found the missing red heifer, which means that the Egyptian timelines are... We've got two different witnesses from two different people tracking in two different generations that say the Egyptian timeline that the Egyptianologists keep is wrong. It's shorter than it should be. I've got a third witness for you. If we go back and we add the time back into the Bible that the Meserats removed to hide the prophecies pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, I have about 750 years missing from the Bible. So we keep coming up with the same number from three different sources now in three different areas, 750, 750, 750. What's that got to do with anything? Well, remember, the Philistines come from Greece. And it's the Hereditus story about Homer and the Iliad and Hercules and all this stuff. And it's being improbable. Can't be connected. Possibly be connected. Except it is. If you read this book, The Ancient Israelite Tribe of Dan and the Sea Peoples, what were the Philistines called? Sea Peoples. Well, Greece... If you go back far enough, the Greeks record a people coming out of Egypt about the time of the Exodus, according to the movie here, 750 years earlier. They come from the sea, coming out of Egypt, and they take over Greece. And from there, they take over parts of the Caspian Sea, the Black Sea, areas up into what today we think of as the Balkan region. And from there, they fight the Battle of Troy, and they disperse. And they come, in some cases, They part of them go to uh, to Italy and they take over the ruling families. Wherever they go, they take over the ruling families. But they also return back to the Holy Lands and they wage war with Egypt again. And they're defeated this time and they end up in the Palestine area. Now, if this is the case, their bull god, the Minoan bull god, comes from Egypt. Where that god is connected to Baal, which will trace us back to the Canaanites. Now, the Philistines, if you go back to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham worked out a treaty to live in the area with the Philistines. Only they decided they liked his wife. You know, the Philistine king liked his wife. And like, and then the people got all jealous of the wells that Abraham's people dug and of their tribe. And, and basically, jealousy and envy of the Philistines led to strife with Abraham's people, who would become the Hebrews, the Jews. All of this. The Philistines? are very likely descendant of the tribe of Dan. And that's where you get Baal worship. It, 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 it's been with us ever since the, the Hebrews left Egypt. In that 750-year period, the reason that conventional archaeology doesn't want to recognize it is the minute you put it back into the timelines, the most accurate history book in the world that we have is the Bible. And by the way, if you read the Septuagint, that 750 missing years is in it. You know, the Greek copy of the Bible? The, the Bible that you have in English that comes from the Masoretic texts, the 750 years is missing. 
because the Jews took and rewrote the scriptures to hide the identity of the Messiah, try and fight Christianity. All of this fits. So, Charlie, is that where you thought I was going? Yep, that's where I thought. Oh, man. So that means if you put all this together, that means that the Palestinian territory, if they want to call it that, belongs to Israel because it always has Israelites. It always has. So it always has. So what you fighting about? Yeah, but that also is a biblical connection yeah. where Yahweh promised to give oh, that yeah. land. Yeah. So that was a fun one. Yeah, that was a fun ride. Yeah. Stay on target. We're dealing with the with the Philistines, right? Greek reporter. This is an online uh, page. It says, are the Palestinian descendants of an ancient Philistines? The current Palestinians. Are they descendant of the Philistines, the ancient Philistines, the people who very likely are descendant of the tribe of Dan? It says, to understand what connection they may or may not have with the Philistine or the Palestinians of our time, we need to understand what happened to the ancient Philistines. Throughout most of biblical history, they were enemies of Israelites. For this reason, the prophet Ezekiel declared that they would be destroyed. In the years surrounding 600 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon waged a war against the Levant, that area of the Holy Land. Part of this campaign involved an attack against Philistia. During this attack, he devastated the Philistine nation. Some of their most important cities were utterly destroyed. Over the following decades, the Philistines limped on as a nation. Not really, it was nation states, uh, city states. However, by the fifth century BC, it appears that all historical and archaeological trace of them has disappeared. They were absorbed by other nations. They, they're no longer a people. They may have survived as a group for some time thereafter, but Alexander the Great's conquests in the following centuries certainly eliminated whatever trace of their nationhood was left. So did the Palestinians come from the Philistines? Since the Philistines were completely destroyed during the 6th to 4th centuries B.C., it is clear that no modern nation comes from them, including the Palestinians of today. So where did the Palestinians of today come from? The answer to this question is both simple and complicated. It is simple in that the term Palestinian refers to the people who historically lived in Palestine, originally including the Jews as well. The Greeks began using the term Palestine to refer to the whole region between Egypt and Phoenicia what we would think of as the Holy Land. This term does come directly from Philistine. The Greeks used this for the whole region because they were obviously more familiar with the coastal nation, the Philistines, than the island, the inland ones, the Israelites, and that's because the Greeks are related to the Philistines. Eventually, after the Jewish-Roman wars of the 1st and 2nd century uh, AD, the Romans began using the term Syria-Palestinia for the entire area formerly covered by Judea and Samaria. Before that, they called the region Judea. This term for the region remained popular, evolving into the Palestine of modern times. Gradually, in modern times, the people who lived there started identifying as Palestinians. The diverse origin of the Palestinians. Because the term Palestinians emerged in modern times simply as a designation for those who lived in Palestine, it originally included a variety of ethnicities. However, most people living in Palestine were this, this, from this distinct nationality began emerging were Arabs. There's a reason for that. 
Therefore, the majority of Palestinians today are Arabs. In fact, most of them are Muslim Arabs. But Christian Arabs in Palestine also identify as Palestinians. Traditionally, most Palestinians trace their families back to Arab tribes who settled in the area at the time of the Islamic conquest of the region, or even before. Yet those Islamic conquerors did not completely wipe out the earlier population. Undoubtedly, many of the Jews and Samaritans survived the conquest and had descendants. Therefore, some of the Palestinians must be of Jewish or Samaritan descent. The Samaritans, being the northern kingdom, for their part, came from an enormous mixture of tribes from all over the ancient Assyrian Empire, which is why the tribe of Judah did not like the, the Samaritans, because there were a few Hebrews mixed in there, but mostly they were imported from other conquests, conquered areas of Assyria, this, this biblically speaking. They were, these people arrived in Samaria after the destruction of the northern ten-tribe kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC. In addition, we can hardly imagine that the Babylonian and Greek conquests wiped out every single Philistine family, even though these conquests wiped out the Philistines as a national and ethnic identity or entity, there must be some descendants today, but they're also Jews and others. So did the ancient Philistines become the modern Palestinians? In conclusion, the modern day Palestinians did not emerge directly from the ancient Philistines of biblical times. Rather, the term Palestinians describes the population of modern Palestine. It is a population primarily comprised of Arabs. This population arrived in the area principally during the Islamic conquests of the Levant. In addition to this primarily Arabic component, many modern-day Palestinians must also descend from ancient Jews and Samaritan families. Furthermore, some ancient Philistine families must have descended among the modern Palestinians, although they are completely imperceptible as a distinct group. So what are we talking about right here? We're talking about there is no ethnic identity known as Palestinian. Now, before the Muslim conquests, who occupied that area? Jews and Christians, primarily. There were some Arabs there. There were, and there were some Samaritans, which were busting from all over the Middle East, primarily to the east, Assyria, Turkey, you know, Babylon regions, things like that. But it, it was a melting pot. But for the most part, it was Jews and then Jews and Gentiles who became and converted over to Christians. And this is the before, after Rome fell, you know, Rome starts to decay to the second, third, fourth century AD, somewhere in there. The Coptic church takes over. The Coptic Christian church takes that region over. If you watched any of our shows on the, the prophecy on Wednesdays, you remember that Ellis Schofield told us this is one of the areas where the Coptic church was destroyed by Islam. So Islam comes in. I, I have a direct ascendancy. The Canaanites lose in a battle, the battles of conquests to the Israelites when Israel moves in after the Exodus. The Philistines are there. Very likely, depending on how you want to look at it. If you want to look at it secularly, they got no connection. If you look at it biblically, the Philistines are descendant of the tribe of Dan, so that they are a an apostate tribe of the Hebrews that are so apostate we no longer they they have no connection to the Bible's belief system anymore. They've gone totally after false gods, but they're still ethnically very likely related to the Jews. 
So what you have is a, a Jewish region, you know, not, not even Jewish, Hebrew. You have a Hebrew region that becomes known, you know, the Palestinian area, the, the Holy Land's Israel, the nation of Israel. It's Hebrew. And then the new covenant comes, the cross and Jesus and everything. And then the, you, you, now you got a mix of Hebrews and Coptic Christians. And Coptic just being that, that part of the five regions of Christianity in the Mediterranean basin at the time. And then comes Muhammad, 7th century AD, come boiling out of Arabia. They conquer the Holy Lands, and they claim it as, them, as their own. And that's because Islam thinks the entire world belongs to Islam. Everybody else, if you're not Muslim, you conquered it from Islam. That's something that that's Muhammad teaches that. Where does he get that from? This is the mirror opposite of the divine council Christian worldview that says the whole world once belonged to Yahweh, Garden of Eden, you know, Yahweh's people. And then at the fall, it got split up, Genesis 10 and 11, divided into the nations, et cetera, et cetera. This is Muhammad teaching of Satan's version of that story. So everything belongs to Islam. Well, Islam took over the Holy Lands. This is where the bulk of the modern-day Palestinians come from. They're from the descendants of Ishmael, one of Abraham's children. All of this, folks, all of this, everything in the Middle East goes back to the fight between Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael is the child of man doing it his own way. Isaac is the child of man relying on God, Yahweh. God of, of the Bible, not Allah. Allah is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh is. We'll, we'll, we'll start covering that tomorrow. But that's what, the, the, that's what you got going on here, folks. And the caliphate eventually devolves over time into what becomes known as the Ottoman Empire. And the regions you see shaded in brown and yellow here, this is the extent of the Ottoman Empire, and it goes all the way across northern Africa into um, Morocco in the, in the Western coast. And it actually, at one point it does extend and it doesn't show here. The caliphate went into the Caucasus and Iran and down into Arabia, all of that area. Um, the Ottoman empire was never able to, to incorporate those regions because the caliphate actually hung on there. But for the most part, the Ottoman empire is Muslim and it is, it, it is the worldly reflection of, of the political caliphate. At, at this point in time, what we're looking at, this, <laughs> this, is the, this is the Daniel's fourth beast. If you, you saw our show on prophecy last week, this is, this is Daniel's fourth beast. It's the Ottoman Empire. And we see in the colored areas, the Ottoman Empire was killed by the Allied forces after World War II. I mean, World War I, rather, after World War I. And that's when Turkey's broken up in 1924. And all of this gets finally destroyed by the Western world. But the important part for us today, that's that orange section right down there in the Holy Land area, you know, where it says Lebanon, Damascus, Philistine, Transjordan, et cetera, et cetera. Just a, that, that little loopy area right above Arabia. It's in orange. It says losses, 1916 to 1923. That's where we're going to pick up when we come back from our break. We're going to take the break just a little early. I, I've been talking really fast to get through this today because we're halfway through. We got a lot more. We got a lot more. We're out to semi-modern times now. This is where things start to get political in a way that this is where all the confusion comes from. This is where the lies come from. Um, or I guess it's not lies depending on the perspective you look at it. If you're a Muslim, 
everything I've been telling to you, saying to the class right now is probably hacking you off, but it is history. It's objective history so far. This is how we've got to this point. This is where we're going to start with the Ottoman Empire when we come back. The Ottoman Empire, the caliphate, what's left of the caliphate of the Islamic kingdom. Okay, this is where we start. This is where the modern day problems and and folks, we're going to get to use our hashtag in a little bit. And we are going to run into the Fabians. Didn't think we could talk about modern history without running into those morons, did you? So hold on. We're even going to get to Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, all of this. Really good fun. So we're going to take a six-minute break, and we're going to come back at the top of the hour. We're going to take a break just a little bit early. When we come back, now I'm going to start making heads or tails out of all this mess for you. You you had to understand the past here. No such thing as Palestine as a nation. No such thing as Palestinian people as a single ethnicity. This is all today, modern. It's all a political struggle, and it's all Islam. It's all Ishmael versus Isaac. Ishmael, Islam versus Isaac, the Judeo-Christian church. We'll see you in six.
Friday then. We're going to pick back up where we dropped off, right? You know, Ottoman Empire, Muslims, Islam. Been a problem since 7th century. Been driving the world ever since. Yes, it has, especially if you understand scripture. Okay, so T-Rex in the comment section on Rumble is getting ahead of the game here. Let's keep going. Britannica, Ottoman Empire. Empire created by Turkish tribes in Anatolia, Asia Minor, that grew to be one of the most powerful states in the world during the 15th and 16th century. The Ottoman period spanned more than 600 years and came to an end only in 1922 when it was replaced by the, replaced by the Turkish Republic and various successor states in southeastern Europe and the Middle East. At its height, the empire encompassed most of the southeastern Europe to the gates of Vienna, including present-day Hungary and Balkan region, Greece and parts of the Ukraine portions of the Middle East now occupied by Iraq, Syria, Israel, and Egypt, North Africa, as far west as Algeria, and large parts of the Arabian Peninsula. The term Ottoman is a dynastic appellation derived from Osman, the first Arabic Uthman, the nomadic Turkmen chief who founded by the dynasty and the empire around 1300. All right. The Ottoman Empire grew out of the Islamic Caliphate. If you do the research, you'll find that. I put the link to the Islamic Caliphate on Britannica in your show notes. You can bring it up if you want. Go back and look at it. They mentioned this. The Caliphate took the region known as Palestine from the then Jewish and Christian inhabitants, mostly Jewish and Christian, who had remained since the Roman collapse, primarily due to the advances of Islam. Rome collapsed because of Islam. Uh, remember Charlemagne and, and Muhammad, the book I've shown you before. That they'll prove it using archaeology. And the best one is Charlemagne and Muhammad Revisited. Oh boy, what archaeology has found since the first book was written. We pretty much know that what happened to Rome, the vestiges, the last vestiges of Rome as it decayed, what happened to it was Islam. This is why all of a sudden in archaeological records, Rome goes from all these coastal cities you know, lavish trading cities to these little mountain uh, castle enclaves up on top of mountains that are hard to get to, you know, big high fortified walls. That's because Rome, the Rome is being, the whole Mediterranean basin is being raided by Muslims looking for, for treasure and slaves. So you've got to go read those books. But it happens also, to, to, just by coincidence, today is the anniversary of the Battle of Tours when Europe stopped the advance of Islam up through Spain. The Ottoman, what would become the Ottoman Empire, the Moors. You remember that from history, the Moors, M-O-O-R-E-S, you know, the Algerian, Moroccan, and, you know, we think of them as North Africans, but that's part of the caliphate and they morph right on into the Ottoman Empire. That's where, you know, what most of the Moors come from. They're, they're Islamic. They're part of the Ottoman Empire. Why is that all important? Well, enter the Balfour Declaration. This is where the world starts to go sideways in the Middle East today. Okay, the Balfour Declaration, Israel's right to exist. If you will go to your show notes, what you're going to find is there's a slideshow down there for you. And I've snagged a few of them, but this is this land is my land, Mandate for Palestine, the Legal Aspects of Jewish Rights, Eli E. Hertz. And this is a 34-slide show that tells you how the Balfour Declaration, and I'm, we're not going to go through it because I don't want to mess on any copyright violations here, but it's going to go through how the Balfour Declaration came about and what the League of Nations and the UN did with the Palestinian mandate. 
And if you're really wanting to dig into this, that slide presentation is very good, very useful. I pulled out some of the, the biggest parts of it. We're going to go back to Britannica. Balfour Declaration, November 2nd, 1917. Statement of British support for the establishment in Palestine, in the region of Palestine, the mandate of a national home for the Jewish people. It was made in a letter from Arthur James Balfour, the British Foreign Secretary, to Lionel Walter Rothschild II, Baron Rothschild of Tring, a leader in the Anglo-Jewish community. Though the precise meaning of the correspondence has been disputed, its statements were generally contradictory to both the Skykes Peacoat Agreement, a secret convention between Britain and France, enter the precursors to the Fabians right there, and the Hossein Mechlan correspondence, an exchange of letters between the British high commissioners in Egypt, Sir Henry Mechlan and Hussein Ibn Ali, then Emir of Mecca, which in turn contradict one another. In other words, we got a big old freaking mess here because everybody's going behind the scenes doing things. Right here is where I want to stop. Time for me to throw something in there that you're not going to find. World War One. You got a bunch of bankers and you got the people who will become the Fabian socialists in Europe, in, in, in England. They instigated World War One because they wanted to redraw the borders of the world. And you're going to run into a part of that in a minute. There were lots of promises made during World War, during and leading up to it, and they all, all didn't get fulfilled. The Balfour Agreement goes contradictory to these two terms. You got Britain talking to France, and you got Britain talking to the, the leader of the Muslim Caliphate in Mecca, and they're making promises to each other. Well, Britain doesn't mean to be, and, and I'm not bashing on the British today. That's not the point, and, and I'm bashing on the British progressives, okay? The, the 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 control freaks that were within the British government at that time. That's who I'm bashing on, that specific group of people. They're with us today. Today, they morphed into the Fabians. And I know this. I know this history, folks. I could trace this for you, but it'd be a whole other, other show just for this one topic, and it would bore you to death. But I know this to be true. But they instigated World War I specifically so that they could redraw the borders of things. It got out of hand. It became much more destructive than they expected it to be. But that's because they didn't understand modern warfare at the time, trench warfare and what would happen with the machine gun. So long story short, after World War I, these idiots keep meddling in things. And yeah, I mean idiots because they got these grand schemes of how they want the world to work, but they think everybody else in the world is just going to play along according to their designs. You, you want a perfect example of this. It's LBJ. Well, if I start bombing at the lower parallels and tomorrow I bomb one parallel north and the next week one parallel, sooner or later the North Vietnamese will realize I'm going to get to Hanoi and they'll come to the peace table to do what I want them to do. It doesn't work that way, man. Other people have their own ideas. You know, there is another team on the field there, LBJ. You're not the only one playing football out there with straw men puppets as the other team. Well, typical to progressive thinking. The precursor to the Fabians in Britain are thinking this way, dealing with the whole Middle East, and they're totally oblivious to the historic religious, political, religious culture that's going on in that part of the world. So they start making all these plans that are just not going to work. Back to our um, Britannica says the Balfour Declaration issued through the continued efforts of Kaim Wiseman and, and Nahum Sokolov. Uh, Zionist leaders in London, and I don't like that Zionist, it, it, just think Jewish nationhood, because that's all that means. Zionism means Jewish nationhood. 
you know, a national nation, a physical nation for the house of Judah, for the tribe of Judah. It fell short of the expectations of the, of the Zionists, the Jewish people, who had asked for a reconstitution of Palestine as the Jewish national home. The declaration specifically stipulated that nothing shall be done with any prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. The document, however, said nothing of the political or national rights of these communities and did not refer to them by name. Nevertheless, the declaration aroused enthusiastic hopes among the Zionists and seemed to be the fulfillment of the aims of the World Zionist Organization. Zionism is a tainted word these days. I have that. The British government hoped that the declaration would rally Jewish opinion, especially in the United States, to the side of the Allied powers against the Central Powers during World War I, 1914-1918. So part of this was meant to bring the United States into the war. They hoped also that the settlement in Palestine of pro-British Jewish population might help to protect the approaches to the Suez Canal in neighboring Egypt and thus ensure a vital communication route to the British colonial possessions in India. See, national interests. Not all, just the, the Jews want a homeland. The British are going to use it for their own purposes. Ain't no different than what we've all been doing in the Middle East ever since. The Balfour Declaration was endorsed by principal allied powers and was included in the British mandate over Palestine, formally approved by the newly created League of Nations in July 24, 1922. In May 1939, the British government altered its policy in a white paper recommending a limited of 75,000 further immigrants and an end to immigration by 1944, unless the resident Palestinian Arabs of the region consented to further immigration. Zionists condemned the new policy, accusing Britain of favoring the Arabs. This point was made moot by the outbreak of World War II, 1939-45, through 45, and the founding of the State of Israel in 1948. So what happens is, Balfour Declaration to help get the American Jews to push America into the war because Britain's getting his butt whooped by Germany. After the war, we got what we wanted. Let's go back on our promises to the Jews. Sound like a familiar dance? We've been doing that for a long time ourselves. Promise everybody what we want, get what we want, and then forget about what we told everybody else. Okay, so you got some of that going on politically with the Balfour Declaration. And the Jews expect the the British government to keep on their promises. Eh, hold on. Enter this guy, Lawrence of Arabia. Well, that's the dude in the movie on the left. And got nothing to do with the real T.E. Lawrence on the right right there. So who was this guy? Well, his name is T.E. Lawrence. In full, Thomas Edward Lawrence is by name Lawrence of Arabia, that so-called himself also, but also called from 1927, uh, T.E. Shaw born August 16th, 1988, and he dies May 19th, 1935. He's a British archaeological scholar, a military strategist, and an author best known for his legendary war activities in the Middle East during World War I and for his account of those activities in The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, 1926. Here's what's important, folks. Lawrence of Arabia is an important figure. He's a guerrilla leader. This is from Encyclopedia Britannica. Lawrence was not the only officer to become involved in the incipient Arab rising, Arab uprising. Y'all see the parallels going on here? Does anybody else see these? Because this happened during 1917, right? 1917, add 50 years. 1967, add 50 years. Where do I get to there? 77, 87, 97, 07, Oh, Trump declares Jerusalem to... Yeah, 50-year cycles don't seem to mean anything to anybody in this world. Charlie, does 50-year cycle mean anything to you? 
No, no, not at all. Just just some Jubilee stuff that's in some book that people yeah. okay. have on their shelves that they know. That's what read. I thought. So back to Alorians. His own small corner of the Arabian Peninsula, he quickly became, especially from his own accounts, its brains. You know, he's self-promoting. It's organizing force, it's liaison with Cairo and its military technician. His small but irritating second front behind the Turkish lines was a hit-and-run guerrilla operation focusing upon the mining of bridges and supply trains and the appearance of Arab units first in one place and then another, tying down enemy forces that otherwise would have been deployed elsewhere and keeping the Damascus to Medina Railway largely inoperable and potential Turkish reinforcements thus helpless to crush the uprising. In such fashion, Lawrence, amid amid to to the admiring Bedouins, committed the cynical, self-serving shikes for the moment to his kingmaker's vision of an Arab nation. Okay, there you go, right there. Lawrence of Arabia has this kingmaker's vision of an Arab nation. He goaded them with examples of his own self-punishing personal valor when their spirits flagged, bribed them with promises of enemy booty and English gold sovereigns. That's exactly how Muhammad got the Bedouins to become Muslims. Promise of a nation, booty, etc., etc. His own, you know, self, you know, punishing, very Muhammad-like. Aqaba, at the northernmost tip of the Red Sea, was the first major victory for the Arab guerrilla forces. They seized it after a two-month march in July 6, 1917. Thenceforth, Lawrence attempted to coordinate Arab movements with the campaign of General Sir Edmund Allenby, who was advancing toward Jerusalem, a tactic that was only partly successful. By his own account, in November, Lawrence was captured by Dara by the Turks while reconnoitering the area in Arab dress and was apparently recognized as homosexually brutalized before he was able to escape. Though some biographers challenge the story, the experience, variously reported or disguised by Lawrence afterward, is generally described as having left both physical scars and wounds upon his psyche, from which he never recovered. By the way, that is a common Muslim practice for their enemies. Homosexual abuse. That That's known. I would tend to believe Lawrence here, because it fits with what I know to be true. The next month, nevertheless, Lawrence took part in the victory parade in Jerusalem and then returned to increasingly successful actions in which Fayasal forces nibbled away at the north. Lawrence rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel within the distinguished service of the DSO. All right, what's that got to do with the Balfour Agreements? Well, first of all, Lawrence is acting in here as a de facto um, official of the, of the British government in the military. And he's promising all these things to the Arabs. And they're going to make up this big Arab, they're, they're going to reinstitute the caliphate. And he's promising booty and all this stuff. And he helps them march into Jerusalem. So the Arabs think they're taking over Jerusalem and that the, the British are going to are going to give the area of Palestine and, and Arabia and everything in Iraq all over to the Arabs because Lawrence has been making promises that he's got no authority to be making because of these self-aggrandized ideas that he's some sort of military leader and he's patterned himself whether intentionally or not after Muhammad. Well the British they've made promises to the Jews. The official British government promises they don't intend to keep and they don't intend to keep Lawrence's promises. But they're in the one time talking to France because they're going to keep their kingdoms up. So they're making promises and bank deals with France. And the British government is also making promises and bank deals on its own outside of Lawrence's promises with Mecca. So you got the British playing at least a four-way game here. 
now I'm not talking about all British people. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the British progressives. Now, does that sound anything like what the American progressives do here today in this country in regard to the Middle East? Have we ever seen, I, go watch that whiteboard video that I showed you to watch at the beginning of this show. Go to the Road to Concord, look at today's notes, watch that 12-minute video, and you'll see how our government has done exactly this. So the Ottoman Empire lost the region known as the Palestine in a war. They did lose it in a war. They lost it in World War I. Under the international rules of warfare, the victor is under no obligation to return that land. Ergo, Palestine was Britain's to dispose of as Britain wished because they were the primary allied forces in that area. Unfortunately, hey, you see this, Charlie? The allies led by Woodrow, Woodrow freaking Wilson, Wilson chose to hand control of the occupied territories over to Wilson's League of Nations, precursor to the United Nations. Things have gone badly ever since. So, leading up to the Balfour Declaration, this is from that slideshow I told you about. This is from Winston Churchill, British Secretary of State for the Colonies, June 1922. Colonies, of which the Palestinian mandate is one. When it is asked what is meant by the development of the Jewish national home in Palestine, region Palestine, not nation, region, just a geographical area. It may be answered that it is not imposition of the Jewish nationality upon the inhabitants of Palestine as a whole, but the further development of the existing Jewish community with the assistance of the Jews in other parts of the world in order that it may become a center in which the Jewish pupil as a whole may take on grounds of religion and race and interest and pride. But in order that this community should have the best prospect of free development and provide a full opportunity for the Jewish people to display its capacities, it is essential that it should know that it is Palestine as of a right and not sufferance. Churchill saying we know that Palestine, the region of Palestine, is Jewish by, by right. They lost it to the Romans. This is an American representative. Representative Walter M. Chandler from the New York Express paper, he, he expresses his views on, uh, no, he's from New York, representative from New York, expresses his views on the Arab question in Palestine. The Americans' view here is that the Arabs shall be permitted to remain in Palestine under Jewish government and domination and with their civil and religious rights guaranteed to them through the British mandate and under terms of the Balfour Declaration. That if they will not consent to Jewish government and domination, they shall be required to sell their lands at a just valuation and retire into Arab territories, which has been assigned to them by the League of Nations in the general reconstruction of the countries of the East. That if they will not consent to Jewish government and domination under the condition and rights of justice or to sell their lands at a just valuation and retire into their own countries, they shall be driven from Palestine by force. President Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow freaking Wilson, says, I am persuaded that the allied nations with the fullest concurrence of our own government and people are agreed that in Palestine, in Palestine, the region, shall be laid the foundations of a Jewish commonwealth. President Harding, 1922, signed the Lodge Fish Joint Resolution of Approval to establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Coolidge, 1924, signed the convention or treaty between the UK and the US calling to safeguard the American interests in Palestine. American interests, Jewish interests, folks. The convention incorporated the complete text of the mandate for Palestine, including the preamble. That's the Balfour ag agreement here that's done by the League of Nations. And then Herbert Hoover, October 29th, 1932, 
on the occasion of your celebration of the 15th anniversary of the Belfour Declaration, which received the unanimous approval of both houses of Congress by the adoption of the Lodge Fish Resolution in 1922, I wish to express the hope that the ideal of establishing the national Jewish home in Palestine, as embodied in the Declaration, will continue to prosper for the good of all the people inhabiting the Holy Land. The mandate for Palestine valid to this day. The mandate survived the demise of the League of Nations, and it is still valid today. Article 80 of the UN Charter implicitly recognizes the mandate for Palestine of the League of Nations. The International Court of Justice, ICJ, has consistently recognized that the mandate survives the demise of the League of Nations. So why is this mandate so important? The mandate for Palestine and memorandum by the British government relating to its application to Transjordan approved by the Council of the League of Nations on September 16, 1922, whereas recognition has thereby been given to the historical connection of the Jewish people with Palestine and to the grounds for reconstituting their national home in that country. How many times has the UN in recent days said that the Jews need to give up their land after it is official UN charter that the Jews have a historical connection to the region known as Palestine and that the UN adopted the Belfort Declaration and the Palestinian mandate of the League of Nations into their charter saying that they've established the nation of Israel. The UN has lost its freaking mind because of who now controls it. So what is this Palestinian mandate? All right. First of all, after World War I, when the League of Nations creates this Palestinian mandate, this orange area, all the, from what today is Israel to the Transjordan, all the way up there into Iraq, that's the British mandate. They're given, think um, protectorate. The country of Britain was put in control of that region. You, you take care of that. You manage that. You, you're you're going to be the policeman. So let's start zeroing in a little bit here. Now. You see the region that we call Transjordan and then the other up area up there called Palestine. That is, they've skipped a step. And I'll, I'll show you in a minute, but they've skipped a step. That is not, originally that was not Transjordan. Originally that entire area right there was Palestine. In, in World War II, that was still called Palestine. That, that area right there, if you go to a World War II map, it was just called Palestine. Both Palestine and Transjordan together, that was the Palestinian mandate. That right there, that's the Palestinian mandate originally. So after World War I, when the Ottoman Empire loses this area, that is the Palestinian mandate. And that area right down there where it says Gaza Strip, that's the original Palestine. That's the Philistines right there. That's the area that originally, historically, the if there's a Palestinian nation, they can claim that area only. But they want the rest of it. Because, you know, Muhammad took it away from the people who actually belonged there. And since Muhammad took it, it belongs to them. Well, wait a minute. You took it from people who, I, I guess, took it from the Palestinians, who never really ever owned it, the, the Philistines. This whole thing is a mess, man. It, it, it's all politics. Islamic politics. That right there is the original Palestine. That's Palestine. That, that when, when the word and the concept of Palestine was reconstituted in modern times, 1920s, that was Palestine right there. That's the whole Palestine. That was originally meant to be the new Israel. 
the Balfour Agreement wants that area for new Israel. That That's the area that should be the Jewish state today. Those were the boundaries. That was going to be the national Jewish homeland. 120,466 square kilometers. That's what they were going to give to them. All right. So what happens immediately after Britain takes over? Because of all the promises that Britain made to Mecca and Lawrence of Arabia and all that other good garbage going on, they immediately say, okay, well, the Transjordan, that's going to be Arab Palestine. So the Jews are going to give that other part over there on the left, Jewish Palestine. So they go from 122,000 square kilometers down to 28,000 square kilometers. So I've, I've cut it by what, you know, five sixths. They've got 23% of what they were originally going to get. Okay. We're happy with that, right? That, that we can settle. <clears throat> Excuse me. If the Arabs that were living in that area want a Palestine, that's what Transjordan is supposed to be. That's, that's Arab Palestine. So why aren't the Palestinians living there? Well, that's Jordan. There was no Jordan at the time. There was no nation of Jordan. The nation of Jordan does not exist right now. It's just called Transjordan, meaning across the Jordan. Trans, you know, transcontinental United States across the continents. Transjordan across the Jordan. The region of Palestine across the Jordan. That's what that means. So what happens is when it's all said and done, 1947, the Israelis get that little sliver over there on the white. So we went from the whole Palestinian region, region down, down to where they get just that little bit on the left there, the, the white. So we create a nation of Jordan through a war. We'll get to that in a minute. So now we need to have Palestine. So we give them that yellowish area, that orangish yellow area, that mustardy looking color. And the Israelis just get that white stuff. Okay. Go over to these pictures on the right. 1947 UN participant plan. That, that's essentially what happened. In 1945, those red areas, that's where the Arabs lived. And in 1945, those black areas, that's where the Jews lived. Now, in 1945, that, that big black area, that was no man's land, public-owned or, or otherwise wasteland. It, that was just mostly desert. It, it wasn't fertile. That's why nobody lived there. It was garbage. Look at that. That's the bulk of what they gave Israel. Israel's inhabitable property is essentially just those two little white pieces up at the top on either, either side of the Golan Heights. So you're going to create an Israeli nation, but you're creating garbage land. You, you gave them garbage land. They were they got down to, they took 20-something 20, 20 percent of the 23 percent. In other words, they got whittled down to just about nothing from what they were promised in the Belfort Agreement. Okay, fine, no problem. So the Israelis took it. They were happy to have a something. And most of this area now is fertile. Israel's brought the desert back to life, just according to prophecy said they would. So the region Arabs were given to land called their own homeland. It was taken from them in 1947-48 war against Israel. What? Israel took the land? No, 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 no. The area of Transjordan, it was taken by Arabs. So the today's modern Palestinians, their Palestinian homeland, the Transjordan, was taken by other Arabs. And Jordan, the nation of Jordan today, is the real occupier of the Palestinian, of the Jordan, you know, Arab Palestinians, right there. That was the plan. That's what it's supposed to be. So how did we end up from there to this picture on the left now? How did that happen? 
the war of independence for the Israeli nations. Because after the the UN said, okay, we're going to create um, Israel after World War II, they had to fight for their independence because the Arabs said, oh, screw that mess. We're going to wipe them out. Well, Israel won that war. And in the process, the Arabs took the land that was supposed to be Palestinian Transjordan and they created the nation of Jordan. So if Palestine has had land taken from it, modern-day Palestinians, it's Jordan that took it. That's a verifiable fact. So the area that they were given by the UN within what was what is now called Israel, we go back to that picture where it says, look, our shrinking land. How do they keep losing that? Well, that's easy. Since 1948, the Arabs have attacked Israel several times. And by Arabs, I'm lumping Hamas, um, all of those, but I'm all, the Gaza Strip, Lebanon, uh, Palestine, all of those people in together, you know, Syria, the, the surrounding nations. But this is definitely the Palestinian area. Each time they've been the aggressor. Well, Joe, the, the Israelis attacked preemptively one time. Yes, to stop what was the upcoming attack. The Israelis knew it was coming. And we know that to be true. We, we know afterwards that the Arabs were about to attack. Israel stepped in a day, day, day and a half early before the attack. And if they hadn't, they'd, they'd have been much worse off. But that, that was forced on them. Each time, these war lands have been the aggressor. And each time, the Arabs have lost land. Israel's won. Therefore, the, the Palestinians are demanding that Israel freely return what they lost because they attacked Israel. International law, if you're going to get stupid and you're going to attack a country and you lose your nation in the process, tough luck. Suck it up, buttercup. That was your fault. Uh, coming on the board from Truku, that's not going to be a popular conclusion. I don't care. It's truth. It's international law. It's the way history goes. <clears throat> so this right here is how you lost the Palestinian land. Arab took it. The Arabs took it. So that's not Jewish Palestine, folks. Uh, per everybody's admission, that's Jews back in their homeland that they lost after Rome invaded and there never was a Palestine. And if there was, it was just the Gaza Strip, the Philistines, who are more likely, more likely than not, descendants of Israel to begin with, of the Hebrews. So what's, what's this war about? This is all about Islam wanting to wipe out Israel. So this... This is a map that comes from a page that says, you know, the, the, the Israelites, the Israelis, they're ethnically purging Israel, the, you know, the Palestine. They're getting rid of us. That's not true. And I've given you a story about this. Um, if you want to go to your class notes, um, you'll find this article here from the Greek reporter. Um, whoops, not that one. This one. This is uh, from the Presbyterian for Middle East Peace. It says misleading and harmful, the Palestinian loss of land maps. And it'll go over how the areas that are actually being purged are Egyptian lands here on, on, the, on the right, Egyptian places being purged of Jews. And over here on the left, the, the Jewish population, how it's going down. But the Arab population of Israel has been going up. And that's because the Israelis don't, don't practice apartheid in purging like this map claims. What that map shows you, those gray areas they call occupied areas, you know, the, the intermediate gray, those aren't occupied. You lost those in a war when you attacked Israel. It, fair and square, 
Jack. If you're going to do that, tough, tough. You're out of luck. Tough. It may not be a popular opinion. Maybe you should quit attacking people and live with what you got. But if you're going to keep attacking people and you keep losing, that's your problem, Palestine. Stop attacking them. Stop doing what you just did in these last few days. Butchery. They wipe you out to the last. Tough. That's like saying in 9-11, we shouldn't have attacked who we attacked. Well, we might not have, might not should have. That might not have been accurate. I don't care. But if I had found out, we should have attacked Saudi Arabia, if you ask me. But if I had found out who attacked, not Pearl Harbor. Oh, Joe, don't go after the Japanese. It's not their fault. You're the aggressor. I am. I got attacked. Yeah, but look what Teddy Roosevelt's been messing over there in Japan all these years. Yeah, he was. That's true. But I got attacked. You didn't seek diplomatic resolution to that. You attacked me. I got a right to defend myself. Now, that's international. That's that's first primary rule of natural law. I have a right to self-preservation and self-defense. So this right here, that's just a lie. And yet, Palestine make all their modern demands with no basis or in the face of actual history and the whole time screaming death to Israel. Why are we blaming Israel for any of this? Why? How is that Israel's fault? Now, I'm not saying they're perfect. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be an apologist for Israel. Israel does a lot of things they shouldn't be doing, especially to this country. We're supposed to be an ally, and they spy on us like big time. And they, I, I know they abuse us to some extent, but we abuse them. But they're our only ally in that region. And they still, they're Judeo-Christian brethren that way spiritually, but they're also, at least how they run their country, they're nominally allied with us. We've got treaties with them, or we should have. We recognized them. We're the reason they're a nation. If it hadn't been for Truman standing up and be recognizing them in the UN, they may not be here. We've supported them through all their wars. Why are we turning our back on them now? What's changed? We are five days away from fundamentally transforming us into a calif. I mean, transforming America. Yeah, that changed. How many, uh, we, we, we don't have any immigrants coming, being busted and flown in by the government from Islamic nations trying to do to us what's happening in Europe. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, that's continued under Biden too, hasn't it? Even continued under Trump. We don't have open borders that are allowing these people to pour into, oh, yeah, 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 we do. We do. We do. It's almost like somebody somewhere, you know, like the Muslim Brotherhood got into our intelligence and government community. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that, that did happen. They're, they're using the government to push. It's not like there's an unholy alliance between the Democrats and Islam where the Democrats thought they were going to use Islam for their money and actually got taken over by. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Charlie, help me out here, man. I, I think I've discovered a conspiracy. <laughs> We might have yeah. to talk about this one Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Yeah. It's not like the idiot Democrats thought they were going to use Islam and ended up becoming the <laughs> the useful idiots useful for Islam, idiots is it? It's for Islam, yeah. It's not like we have nuclear weapons been smuggled into the Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I've shown you that, that too. And and it's not like we we lost track Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, Obama told us we couldn't yeah. track them anymore. Yeah. It's not like our government has set us up for an Islamic attack on Oh, wait a minute, they do that all the time, and then they tell you it's domestic terrorists. When, geez. Remember that firefly I told you I was going to come back to? 
remember, you know, it's a culture war. Yeah, it is. It's a spiritual culture war. Charlie, that picture right there, green recognizes the Arab nation of Palestine. White does not. Politically speaking, or better yet, religiously speaking, what do you see there? <laughs> Those areas that are white are primarily what? Uh, primarily Judeo-Christian. Yes, the Western world, Judeo-Christian. Why would they not recognize the Islamic Palestinian world? <laughs> well, because they recognize Israel. Yep. So that's spiritual warfare right there, isn't it? It is. Mm. Does that have anything to do with that picture? Oh, yeah, sure does. The Jews coming back to the Holy Land is in that first book there. It's in Bible prophecy, Judah's Scepter and Joseph's Birthright. If you have not ever read that book, if you're a Christian, you don't properly understand your Bible when you read it because you read Israel and you read Judah and you read Jacob and you think they're all the same. No, they're not. Not in the prophetic language, they're not. And then that book on the right, that's all about the Belfour Declaration and the return of the nation of Israel back to the house of Judah. Dry bones come back to the nation. Can a nation be born in one night? Prophecy. You have lived through prophecy, and most, most Christians have never even recognized it for what it is. But we have to also recognize there is prophecy yet to come. Yes. These. And who knows? You know, I'm not, I'm not predicting anything here. I'm not trying to be a prophet. But it's, it's possible that this war that Israel is in now is prophetic too is prophetic in that it may it has already started to spill over the borders we've got people killing jews in other countries now but it could expand their borders it could so that the house of ephraim has room to go return and that prophecy about the two sticks or the return of the return of the house of ephraim could be what what expands the borders as well right so who Don't knows? forget, at one this point, Israel owned everything all the way to the Nile, just like it was promised. Yes, they yes. gave it back, the Sinai. But they didn't have to, but they did, for peace. Trading land for peace will never get you anywhere. That's that's a biblical message as well. But these two stories, the one in the Oracle, remember where we were talking about 50 just a little while ago? Why oh, yeah. I asked Charlie why 50 rhymes? That Oracle. You're going you're gonna to run into Lawrence of Arabia again, and you're going to run into the Balfour Agreement, and you're going to run into something that happened 50 years before the Balfour Agreement when, the, when a bunch yeah. of rabbis and a bunch of Christian leaders got together, yeah. started talking about unifying the faith again. Yeah. That's prophecy. All of this, folks, this is not, this is not nothing. No, this is this not is... nothing. So the question is, how's your spiritual warfare? And why did I choose that picture right there, folks? <laughs> Who was Goliath? <laughs> he was a Philistine, wasn't he? He was a Philistine. He was. Now, let me ask you a question. If they come from the Mediterranean, from Greece, and they're just Gentiles, where does the Nephilim bloodline come from? Because that's Nephilim bloodline is in with the Philistine people. However, if the Philistines are uh, descendants of the tribe of Dan. 
now I know where the Nephilim bloodline came from. Oh. Don't I? Because mm. it was mixed up with the people of Israel. That's that's interesting. And now I know why Dan's not in the book of Revelation. Ooh. It was purged by the loyal Hebrews. Hmm. Possibly. 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 Ooh, wow. That's something to think about. How's your spiritual warfare going, folks? Because that is exactly what this whole thing in the Middle East is all about. It is, and we need to we need to remember that because that's that's what's going on here. We need to remember that Yahweh is is in control. Yes, He knows the end from the beginning, and you know. Real quickly before we start with our wrap up, there are two other articles on there. This is the ancient Jewish history about the Philistines, and then this one. I didn't have a chance to go through this one in great detail, but this bad boy seems to get it because that area right here where my cursor is, that's the area where Dan is supposed to have leapt from Egypt and gone to Greece. And that's interesting that they returned to where they were supposedly have left from. So this is a very interesting, I don't know how much faith I'll put into this. I haven't gone through it yet. I threw it in there for those of you who like to do your own work. It's just a starting point. You can do what you want to do with it. Go where you want to go with it. But this one here, even if they're wrong, they give you lots of fascinating little rabbit trails and threads to chase. And uh, it seems to be a little bit something to that one. So that's in there. And then this is about the Palestinian descendants. This is about the supposed ethnic purging. And then it gets you to the Arab-Israeli wars which is how Palestine has lost all of its, its supposed region of its area to Israel. It lost it in a war. It shouldn't have attacked, but it did. So, wah, tough on you. So, I got that done because I put it into hyperdrive and spoke really, really fast. Yeah, you did pretty good. <laughs> Do we have any questions on the board? Um, let's see here. Um, any comments? We got some comments. I mean... Troku is right about yeah. this. This historical truth is not a prime. It's not a, it's not in demand right now. And that's true. Yes. Troku. But then in a time of total global deception, he who speaks the truth is going to be an enemy. Well, we've been in global deceptions since the Ascension. And we've been told that if you're going to follow the truth, capital T truth, the world's going to hate you. Well, same, same principle, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Question why would Israel not expect something major at this time with the Jubilee and the past history and patterns? Yeah, that's a good question. Why, what, where's the supposed intelligence failure? Two questions for you, right? Well, two possibilities. One, they wanted the attack, so they let it happen. Because I firmly believe the American government wanted 9-11. They knew it was coming. They let it happen because it gave them the crisis they needed. You have to remember that Israel's got some people in it, too, that aren't good guys either. Okay. Yeah, and and their government really mucked up right right now. the other and, and right now governmentally this attack unified everybody it brought israel together mm -hmm. so right. don't put that past messed up human beings thinking that this is actually a good thing for israel in the long run because they just assume militarily we'll squash them we, we can soak up some casualties we'll be all right this will this will solve a lot of our problems there's also another thing going on here and this one's occam you forget that the enemy's smart 
he might have decided, you know, Hamas, I mean, uh, the uh, Mossad's really good at infiltrating us. Maybe they just got really good at uh, hiding their plans for a while. And don't forget who they're fighting. They're fighting Iran. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it's not it's not Palestinian freedom. It's not the PLO. They're after, that's a proxy military for Iran. This is Iranian led. Yeah. In in Benjamin Netanyahu his he's been struggling to uh get a coalition together. Yes, because and but but he is I mean he's a pretty strong leader. Yeah, but you know why he's having trouble with the coalition? Everybody, oh, we've got all these new peace agreements, nobody's going to attack us. Right. And they probably were warned by their military intelligence. And they did exactly what our government did in 9-11, ignored it. Right. Because, you know, they're civilians. They're smarter than those stupid military people. We've got our own thing going on. Those diplomats told me we've got peace now, so everything's good. They convinced themselves of this crap. Yeah, you need a war so that you can solidify. and. Well, yeah, but it also could be just a case of they didn't see it coming because they got their heads so far up their own storylines. That they don't see it when they're warned, they ignore it. Don't ever, ex- don't ever dismiss the power of hubris of a diplomat or a politician. They can convince themselves of their own stories. They believe oh, their own lies. Absolutely. But yeah, I could see we're a war. But for now, like for Bibi, the reason that he can't get a coalition is because these people don't think they're under a threat anymore. They've got all these peace promises, and it's like, look, Mr. Hitler's not going to attack. He signed a piece of paper. We've seen this before. So it, it, Chamberlain put England to sleep because he had that piece of paper from Mr. Hitler. Well, do we really think that a Muslim who was commanded by Muhammad to sign treaties with the non-believers and don't keep them for more than 10 years before you break them, you use them only to get strong and prepare for the next attack, we really think that they're going to change their patterns? Right. What... Toku comment on the board wasn't a Hamas backed government voted in on the Gaza Strip a few years ago and isn't the Gaza Strip actually owned by Israel Gaza Strip has never been under Israeli control that was from it was supposed to be but the Gaza Strip that's the area that would have originally been the Philistine area that that's where the Philistines live so if you have an original Palestine that's it and it was never given under Israeli control and never has been under Israeli control since the nation was reconstituted. But yes, they have have Hamas-backed governments voted in there and uh, several other places as well. And Gaza is just an atomic region. It's not a state. Um, that's part of the problem here. None of this is statehood. Yeah, the UN has never recognized Palestine as Well, it can't because in order to do that, it has to go against its own charter. Right. We just read that. It's Israel as a charter is still on the UN books. Right. You can't openly contradict yourself because you have to repeal that. And they know that we're going to veto that, or at least they think they know that. I we don't know so. that anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm not quite so sure anymore. Yeah. So, folks, if you've been with us, hopefully you're starting to understand why this is such a mess. This is not new. This goes back to ancient times. This goes back. But at the same same time, the new iteration of this, the latest round of this Palestinian thing, this is all Islamic. This is Islam. Islam against Israel. And notice how it was Britain that brought Israel into being, right? Belfour, Belfour. 
Okay, Britain puts them up. Brit Britain Britain's the reason that pushed them in the UN. Now we recognized them. I got that, but it was Britain's doing. So why isn't Britain the great Satan? Why is it the United States? Because Britain's the seat of what's left of the house of Judah and Israel, the, the Hebrew people, the, the whole house of Israel. That, that's up there. And you know what? That's also another possibility of a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 right there, Charlie. Because the house of Israel and the house of Judah were reunited there. So there's, there's many possible yeah, manifestations of that. Yeah. But I don't know, folks. Why is that? I personally, myself, I look at this biblically. The enemy will identify you. Well, if we're the seat of Ephraim in this nation now in the United States, which I believe we are, well, then he's not going to identify Britain as the great Satan because he isn't. Britain's just Manashe or the vestiges of the of the house of Israel that that law, you know, the southern kingdom, Judah, after it lost the northern kingdom again. It's a re, it's it's a remanifestation of the prophetic uh, patterns. But either way, Islam is satanic. That I know from a biblical perspective. Israel, house of Judah, lesser Satan. Ephraim, greater Satan. Well, who does Islam call the great Satan? The United States. So if you think that they're going to be hell-bent on getting rid of Israel and not the United States, you've lost your cookies. You don't understand Islam. Remember, we've been at war with Islam since the founding of this nation. Nothing's changed. If you're a Judeo-Christian believer, you've been at war with Islam since Muhammad came out of Arabia. Yeah. And Islam, even if you're not, Islam's at war with you. And by the way, the only people allowed to pay the jizyat tax and live as a service, you know, as a slave, are Jews and Christians. If you're not a Jew or Christian, it's off with your head. You either convert or you just die. You know, I, you don't get to pay that tax. That's not an option for you. <laughs> Isn't that cute? So where are we at now? Hopefully we did a good job today. Tomorrow. Worship Wednesday, right? I've talked to Charlie. And I think what we're going to do is we are going to just wipe the foundations clean. And we are going to have a discussion about another series for Worship Wednesdays. I think it's time to go back to the very foundations of the faith and actually do something that I very rarely see anybody in the Christian faith do. We're going to test that Bible. We're going to test it. I mean, test it hard on its own merits over the next few weeks. We'll have a general talk about this tomorrow. Thursday, I'm thinking that we're going to have a conspiracy theory Thursday based on these things with the Islamic takeover of the United States. A lot of people, that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, tune your happy little bud in on Thursday. Again, conspiracy, yes. Theory, no. <laughs> Does Joe have the receipts? Oh, you bet your bottom bippy I do. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should call it Conspiracy Fact Thursday. <laughs> so, Friday, don't know yet. We'll find out. We'll figure that one out. But that's what we're going to do for the next two days. Tomorrow, we're going to have a general discussion about where we're going for the next few few weeks until I get done with it on Worship Wednesday. And then uh, on Thursday, we're, we're going to do Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Muslim plans to take over the united states of america <laughs> beverly says truth thursday yeah truth thursday <laughs> truth thursday yeah i like it 
Still conspiracy it. though. It is a conspiracy. This is definitely a conspiracy. And we're gonna we're gonna start connecting some fireflies and dots there, and then we're gonna whip out old Occam. Yep. There we go. And then we'll whip out old Occam. <laughs> yep. There we go. Yep. Yep. Oh, we could call it true gotcha. conspiracy Thursdays. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. True conspiracy Thursdays. There you go. Yeah. That, and go. one of the true conspiracies <laughs> is that. Daryl is Troku. <laughs> you didn't see that show, Troku. We found you. We found you riding your your jet ski too, known as Loch Ness Monster. Very clever, very clever disguise. Nobody's gonna steal your jet ski looking like like Nessie. But we found you riding riding your Nessie water scooter, giving us the finger and everything. We got your picture last week. So, all right, folks. I think we'll call it a wrap a few few minutes early here. <laughs> Are you sure that Nessie was not actually a Lapras he was riding? A what? A Lapras. Oh my god, we're going Pokemon? <laughs> I mean, who's to say? I captured you. Now get off my screen. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a Pokemon. I'm not you are now. You look like one to me. On the screen, you look like an avatar. That makes Aww, you you're a that's talking like the nice, Pokemon. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Joe. That Ooh, that see. really warms my heart. Okay, you're a talking Pokemon. You're in my phone now. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> we love Natasha. <laughs> Anyhow, folks, we love each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. We're going to wrap it up just a few minutes early. Sorry for this bad show that start we had today. Um, time to delete Joe's files. <laughs> That one, the start wasn't our fault. It caused me to speak faster than I wanted to, but we got the show in today. This otherwise, this would have been a long one, man. Yeah, um, it was interesting because for a very long time, we had ten viewers on Rumble and ten viewers on Facebook and the other feeds there. So, just just something to look at. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, I got you. I understand. Oh, by the way, there's more people watching the show than that. We we know that as a fact. Yeah. There's something weird going yeah, on here. We yeah, we can trace that. Rumble, yeah, we know really there's something weird really weird on, on Rumble because we can see the metadata on Rumble itself after the fact, and we know there's something funky going on here. That I think this is social media throttling going on. But I don't care. Yeah. I really don't care. We do this for one of you if that, just one of you wanted to watch. As long as we're serving somebody, that's all we're into. So Glad you guys found us today. Some of you may need to rewatch if you didn't catch it right at the beginning. So. Yeah. So if we do anything here to help you, please share it with your friends, family, whatever. Uh, just let them know. You know, Send the link directly to them because social media might not ever let them see it. You know, Just sharing it on Facebook might not be enough. People might not ever see that. Send the link directly to them. Ask them to watch us. Um, you do your own job of filling them in about me, letting them know that you know, love child between Gregory House and Sheldon Cooper. And uh, we'll go from there. If you do like what we're doing, at the very least, give us a thumbs up or whatever up, rumble it. Let us know ourselves that we're doing a good job for you. If you don't feel like doing it, then don't. I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. No free will. That's yours, not mine. If you feel like you are want to support the show, we do ask you to go to the donut page. You know, donate. Donate a donut. Buy me half a dozen donuts every month or a cup of coffee. $5. Ask for you to set up a reoccurring $5 a month donation. That's it. We need a few more people to chime in and help us out with that so that can we can at least cover the basic minimums of keeping the place running. Then maybe I'll beg a few of you to donate as well so you can help the gas guy, you know, the 
gas tanks getting a little expensive for Charlie and I, but we'll keep it going. It's just that we could use your help if you like what we're doing. Today was one of those shows where we did teach. That's the whole purpose. Whole purpose of this show is to teach and to help you understand. Yes, we have a biblical worldview. That's because it's the only, it's the only filter I found that makes everything in the world that I see fit. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Until then, y'all stay safe. Thank you for being here. We love you. See you. Take care. See you tomorrow.